Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Oppressed and enslaved in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years. The people of Israel cried out to God for help. Seeing the affliction of his people, God began his redemptive plan to one day lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. So God appeared to Moses saying, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Pharaoh would not let the people go, though plague after plague served as a sign to him of God's power and sovereignty. Not until the tenth and final plague was Pharaoh finally moved to send the people of God away. So they left the land of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea, passing from slavery to freedom. All right, who's got to be a church today? Let's celebrate that we get together. We are in a series uh, called Into the Wild, and we've been walking through the first 12 chapters of Exodus, and we're working our way to Good Friday and Easter. If you don't know, we have a Good Friday service right here. Really excited about that. And then Easter is coming, you guys. Really excited about that. We get to do it in this room. Last year, this time, we were trying to figure out how to do an Easter online, which we did it online, but I'll be honest with you, it wasn't my favorite. Um, I love to see you. I love to see people. I love that uh, we get together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And, and as we've been talking, this is a really incredible opportunity for us to reach out to our city. Uh, two times a year, the people will definitely say yes to an, uh, an invitation to church, Christmas and Easter, right? And so I want you to grab these uh, cards off your seat real quick. You have five cards that we have packaged up for you. These are just little invite cards. And so my commission to you and to all of us is that you would get rid of these, uh, not by throwing them in the trash, but that you would actually be able to give these to people in your life um, who need an invitation to church. Maybe it's somebody you haven't seen around in a while and they were engaged with church and, and, and it's an invitation to come back and to re-engage with their spiritual journey through, through ACF. Maybe it's somebody that isn't going to church and, but there's some spiritual questions in their life or maybe just some difficulty that they're going through. These are the people that need these cards and so you have five of them and, and I know they're just kind of little cards and, and uh, they don't really mean anything in and of themselves. But these cards represent human souls, people that Jesus died for, okay? And so this is a really big deal. Let's take this seriously as a church and reach out to our city. This is a, a really uh, kind of a rebuilding time for us as a church and for our community. You're seeing more businesses reopen. You're seeing people kind of venture back outside right now. And I really believe that God is preparing the church for some incredible things. I mean, God has really sifted the church, hasn't he? Really, if people didn't want to be here, want to engage online, they, they haven't. But what I see right now as a pastor is that those of you who are here, like you're here. 
I mean, you are engaged. You are ready. It's almost like you're positioned for, for just whatever God has for you in this next season, that you've come through a, maybe a difficult and challenging time. And, and I just have seen people who maybe were kind of walking the fence on their faith uh, a year ago who are today, they are all in with Jesus. And they are fully committed to walking with the family of God. And so would you just uh, consider not putting these in the trunk of your car or in the seat somewhere, you know, underneath the leftover McDonald's wrappers on the passenger side or whatever it is. I don't know if that's you or not, but uh, maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning. Clean out your car. Uh, <laughs> but don't throw these away. Give these to people. you got two weeks to just invite some people. And let's just see what God does as we do that together. I'm really excited about that. But as we walk through this series, uh, we are talking through a topic today that I think is going to probably challenge all of us a little bit. And I've entitled this sermon, Getting Through to You. Getting Through to You. Uh, would you say that it's easy to get through to you? I know from my life, I have been called hard-headed, and I would call myself hard-headed. It's pretty difficult to get through to me sometimes. Sometimes it just takes a lot for me to hear the truth. And one of the things, I don't know why you came to church today or, or why you're watching online, but one of the things we do together as we gather is we, we collectively admit that we don't have this. You know what I mean? Like, you operate through life like, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, and then something comes up and you go, I don't got this. I need some help. And so what we do as a collective community is we confess, confess that we want to walk in self-reliance, but we need to be reliant on Jesus. It's the confession that I'm not enough, but Christ in me always is. And this is, this is hard because this pushes up against everything in our souls that says, I am enough, I can do this. In fact, the, the message from our culture is what? Believe in yourself. Let me tell you, don't do that, right? Why don't self-help models work? The reason is because myself is the problem, right? If I believe in myself, but myself is the problem, I got no help. I need to believe in Jesus. He will be my helper. He will be the one who will help me through the difficulties of life. And there's a, there's a moment for everyone where you come face-to-face -face with the, the, the reality that you cannot rely on yourself, the reality that you're weaker than you know, you know, that you're more frail than you realize, in fact, uh, last week we were in California. I was spending some time with some other pastors uh, in this kind of coaching network that we have. And I started getting these texts, and they were pictures of my son, and he had a, he had a head wound, which is fun. That's what you want to see from vacation. And the text said, uh, uh, Grayson was playing dead on the sledding hill, because that's what little boys do, little nine-year-old boys. And uh, he got hit with a sled. And these pictures are like, they're, they're horrible. I think Facebook had to like blur them out, too graphic for Facebook. But he's got like a four-inch gash on his head, and we're trying to figure out the details. Finally, we heard that he actually got hit by another kid on, uh, on a, a snowboard. And the edge of the snowboard hit him, and so it was like a razor blade. And so he's, he looks like a war victim, like his shirt's all covered, and it was just terrible. So grandma's watching the kids, trying to figure out what to do, and I'm, uh, we're texting, and we're trying to figure out what, what, what to do to move forward, and I just, I was, I was emotional about it, and I was emotional because I imagined my son on the sledding hill, wounded, feeling really helpless, and that's kind of what wounds do, right? When, we, when we're wounded, we end up feeling really helpless, and so as a, as a father, imagining my son just like he's scared, he's hurt, you know, I'm worried that he's maybe got a concussion or something like that, there's, because he's a little boy, and what we know about little boys is they've always got this, Right? I mean, he's, he, he can do anything. I mean, he thinks that he's completely untouchable, and then something like that happens. And it was emotional for me to think of him just being really, really helpless, and yet I realized that God 
God actually walks us into those moments by his grace throughout our lives to realize that we need him. You see, self-reliance is really just a fancy way of saying pride. And we are a prideful people. Can we admit that? I mean, this, the, pride really is the sin that leads to all other sins, right? Pride is the sin that leads to all of our self-destructive behaviors. And so what's got to happen for us to move forward is that we need to have a collision. We need to have a collision between what I believe about myself and what God says about me. And the problem is that means that there's going to be some sparks, right? It's going to be difficult. And we live in this culture that actually says avoid people that think differently than you. Avoid opinions that aren't the same as your opinions. You must reject those and, and, and kind of cut yourself off from all other people with all other opinions. And the problem is that keeps us from growing, doesn't it? It's going to keep us from growing. And I've said this over the course of the past few months that um, in our world, we're becoming more and more um, just affected by this, this resistance to other opinions, and, and it's working its way into the church. And we cannot be that community. And so I'm actually seeing how God is preparing us and, and moving us where, where this is the kind of place where your, your opinion is welcome. Like, if you're from a different background, and you're like, I don't know if I believe in God, I don't know if I believe in, in, in Jesus or what this church is doing, that's okay. In fact, I think in the years moving forward, the church may be the only place in our society where open dialogue with people we disagree with is actually encouraged. It's encouraged. It's okay if you're not at the same place as the people around you. The family of God is probably more diverse than you realize. Like, there's people that you're going to see in heaven, and you're going to be like, how'd you get here, right? And they're going to be like, how'd you get here, right? I saw who you voted for, you know. I saw what you put on Facebook. I I saw your political views. And these things divide us in this world. But I bet we're going to be surprised by those we spend eternity with. Because God is is this God that reaches past all boundaries, right? right? All demographics, all lines. God crosses those boundaries so that he can bring any and all people into his kingdom. So first thing I just want to acknowledge and have us acknowledge as the church, if you're a Christian, that there is a collision of worldviews going on. That we actually have to be willing to call it out and, and acknowledge that, that, that this, is, this is not how the people of God see things. We actually want to have conversations with people we disagree with. I was reading a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Interesting read. And the author calls this worldview the what doesn't kill you makes you weaker worldview. This like, don't, don't get around stuff that, that makes you feel pressure, Right? Don't listen to people or be around people that see things different. Like, that's going to steal something from you. It's going to make you weaker. It's going to hurt you. Like, stay away from that stuff. But what we know is that, that stress is actually necessary for growth, isn't it? Having somebody push you on your beliefs is necessary for growth. Have you ever sat down with somebody who is not a believer who started asking difficult questions about heaven, about hell, about the Bible? What did you do after that conversation? You went to Google, Right? You called your pastor. You opened your Bible up. You started studying because you're like, oh man, I didn't have answers to some questions. Stress is necessary for us to grow. A professor of risk engineering at New York University says it this way. He says, just as spending a month in bed leads to muscle atrophy, complex systems are weakened, even killed, when deprived of stressors. Much of our modern structured world has been harming us with top-down policies and contraptions which do precisely this. Like the structure is being built for you to avoid stress in every 
opportunity to avoid stress, things that put pressure on you, but things that put pressure on you actually grow you. And the people that are questioning your beliefs might not be the villain. They might actually be a savior in your life. They might be trying to to help you and pull you into something right, something that's better than what you believe. And so uh, as you mature in your faith, the journey that you go on is exposing yourself to people who think different than you, uh, to be okay with that. And so for me, I read books by atheists. I've read the Book of Mormon. I've read the Quran. I like to listen to podcasts by pastors who have walked away from the faith, who have walked away from the church, people who are walking the road of deconstruction, who are kind of pulling apart all of the, the, uh, the, the bricks of their faith and, and kind of it's crumbling down on them and they're not sure what to do. And, and so for me, it's important that I expose myself to those things because then I can, I can see where there's truth and I can see where there's something that isn't true. And this is important because it's going to grow us because every time I listen, I'm like, well, that is true. So I grab that little truth. I go, ah, that's true too. And I, I grab that. And so I see this, this growth of my faith happening as I do that. We have to be open to other sides of things. And what we're going to see in this story as we continue is we're going to talk about Pharaoh today. Now, Pharaoh is probably one of the most self-sufficient, self-reliant people in the land at this point in history. I mean, really, he is a god. He lives like a god He actually communicates to his people like a God. They treat him, they worship him like a God, but he's not God. And so what we're going to see is a collision of worldviews. We're going to see the real God colliding with somebody who thinks they are God. And and as we read this story, what we're going to do is we're going to layer it on top of our lives, and we're going to go, oh, I've been there before. I've got moments in my life where the real God collided with me when I started thinking that I was God. And what you've got are these people in this story, the Hebrew people who've been enslaved for 400 years. And so what you'd imagine is that they're in what I would call a slavery mindset. Uh, They've been institutionalized to this way of life. They've been abused and oppressed for so long, it's like they can't think of any other possible way to live. I think that we've probably been there before. And then you've got, you've got Egypt, and you've got Pharaoh, who are the oppressors, who are, who are actually hurting God's people. And, and so what we're doing is we're looking at our lives, going, okay, what's oppressing me? Where's their sin or, or unhelpful beliefs or thought processes that are actually keeping me from flourishing? And so really, the Hebrew people's story is our story. We have this God that wants to rescue us from slavery and bring us into freedom. And he wants to do that for you and, and for me as well. And so Pharaoh here... Pharaoh is the opposite of being in a slavery mindset. He's in a self-reliant mindset. He is actually enslaved but thinks he's free. So God's people are are actually, God has promised that he'd set them free, right? They had this promise. They knew it was coming, but they'd probably lost hope. So they were literally already free, but they were living like slaves. And the opposite is true of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was, was living like he was free, but he's actually enslaved. Enslaved to his own misbeliefs. And so what you got, again, is Moses creating this collision. He's speaking the word of God to Pharaoh. He's going to challenge Pharaoh and say, no, there is one God, and you're not him. And and we all need to hear that sometimes, don't we? There is one God. There is this God, Yahweh, right? We talked about the names of God last week. And he is the one God. And so as Moses speaks to Pharaoh, Pharaoh ends up shutting him down, right? And in fact, we see that Pharaoh makes the work harder for the Hebrew people. He just makes it even more difficult for them when Pharaoh says, let my people go. So here was Pharaoh's response in Exodus 5 too. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? 
Now, now this isn't like an actual question, right? He's not like, educate me. Who is this God? I want to know who this is. This is like, who is your God? You know? Like, there, there is no other God. I am God. So who is the Lord? This is a question of, like, you can't tell me what to do. This is him saying, I'm not afraid of your God. Have you ever been there before? Where you really, you're looking at God and going, I'm, I'm not afraid of you. I mean, really, in, in, of all people in the world, Pharaoh doesn't want to be told what to do, right? Pharaoh's, so like, we're Alaskans. Which one thing Alaskans are known for is independence. You can't tell me what to do, right? The second somebody tells you what to do, you're like, I'm going the other direction. I'm going to do the exact, you tell me to sit there, I'm going to sit, I'm going to sit here, right? I'm going to sit anywhere but where you tell me to sit. I'm going to, you don't tell me to do this. This is why the things like the masks and stuff is such a big deal because it's like we don't like to be told what to do amidst other problems that we have with these things. And so we don't like this. Pharaoh doesn't like this. Don't tell me what to do. Who is your God, right? It's a little bit of a test, isn't it? Like Pharaoh's throwing down the gauntlet. Like, like, show me who he is. Now, um, if you're a parent in the room, you've been in a situation like this before. You're at dinner, right? And one of the kids, they have a plate, and they've gotten done eating before everybody else is done. And they're sitting there, and they've got a fork and a plate. And all of a sudden, they want to be a drummer, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you're just talking, you're eating, and in, in, in the distance, you hear ting, 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 ting. And it's not stopping. You're like, it's going to stop, and you're like, it's not stopping. I can't believe it's not stopping. And then finally you're like, you're like, stop it. And they stop for a second, and then they go, tink. Right? Now, there's a lot communicated in that moment, right? There's a lot being communicated in, the, in that little tink. Four things are being communicated. First, is this person going to be consistent with what they just said? And the threats maybe they've thrown out before? Like, are they going to really hold to this? Are they really consistent? They're asking questions, right? Is this person really paying that close of attention to my life? Like, does this really matter with all that's going on right now? I want to see how they're going to react, right? I want to see what are they going to do with my tink, right? And really, it's a question of who, who is this person? Who are my parents? Who, who are they at a deep, intrinsic? You didn't know your kids were asking these deep questions with their little rebellious behaviors. And we've all done this, haven't we? So I want you to think for a moment, where with God are you going, tink? <laughs> Just think about it in your life. Where is the thing in your life where God's like, stop it? And you're like, tink. Who is this God? Are you who you say you are? Are you consistent? What does love like in the, look like in this moment? You're asking a lot of questions, whether you know it or not, as you go, tink, with the fork. And we all have done this. Now, as a parent, on the other side of this situation, when your child have do has done this, you've maybe said these words to them. Go ahead and do it again. <laughs> now, when you've said these words, this is not a real invitation, is this? This is not like, oh, it's okay, honey, do it again. This is like, try me. Tr go Hit it again. Let's see what happens when you do it. I, I had a friend tell me once, um, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. Like, just go for it. At least, I mean, don't lie to yourself, deceive yourself into thinking that you're not rejecting God, that as we talked last week, that you're not calling God a liar. 
Because that's what we, when we sin, we're like, okay, we know that you've said that this isn't good. We've known that, that this isn't the right way. And this is very clearly not your way, God, but I think you're a liar. I want to test you. Tink, right? And so this is what all of us do. And God is like, do it again. Do it again. Let's, let's see what happens. And, and, and we boldly defy God just like all of us have boldly defied our parents or, or others because we don't want to be told what to do. Ultimately, we think we are God. We're like Pharaoh. And we don't want to say it that way, but that is the reality of our disobedience. And so what we're going to see is that God is going to work in the life of Pharaoh. And he's going to, he's going to discipline him, discipline Egypt, because the Hebrew people are God's people. And God is a loving father. And he's a good father. And he wants to set his people free, like he promised. And he will set his people free. But he's going he's gonna to work through this, this journey and this process of, of actually uh, imparting pain on the life of Egypt. And he's, he's going to turn the, 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 the temperature up on this pain so that they could see that there is one God. And it's not Pharaoh. And so if you don't write anything else down, write this down today. It's by God's mercy that we experience the pain of life apart from him. Some of us think it's how, how mean of God to, to impart pain on our lives, but God is actually giving us mercy. The parent that disciplines a child for the tink is not a hateful parent. It's actually a loving parent. It's the unloving parent that does not discipline the child, right? And yet when it comes to God, we shake our finger at him and go, why did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? So flip ahead to, to chapter 7, if you would, verse 1. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And so God is, again, sending Moses to be the voice. We have two guys who are completely inadequate for their job. Praise God. That's what God does, is he calls people, men and women, who are completely inadequate, and he uses them for incredible things. That's what he loves to do. And so you've got Moses, who's got this stuttering problem, and then Aaron, who's like a talking head that only reads what's on the teleprompter, right? These two guys that... They just do what, whatever they're, they're supposed to do, what God's telling them to do, and God's going to use them in the life of Pharaoh. Verse 2, he says, You shall speak all that I commanded you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Now listen to this. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So this leads into the part of the story. We don't get, have time to get into each of the plagues, but God sends these plagues to Egypt to show his power. So we have 10 plagues. Each plague is confronting one of their false gods. And so God slowly is dismantling their false beliefs. And now they've got these sorcerers that are trying to actually replicate what God is doing. And then God makes fools of these sorcerers once again. It's a collision of worldviews. There's sparks that are happening here. There's Pharaoh that says, I am God. And then we have Yahweh who says, no, I am the Lord. I am God. I am greater than all of these things. And so he's going to ramp up this display of power. And then what's going to happen is Pharaoh, as he sees all of this happen, is going to plead for mercy. And then he's going to change his mind. And as I'm reading this story, I can't help but relate to that. Have you had moments like that where you've, been pleading for mercy and then changed 
your mind. Now, the elephant in the room in this text is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And so um, if you've ever done some Bible studies or you've been, been to taking some seminary classes, you know that this is like you spend a couple years argue, arguing about this one thing, like God hardening Pharaoh's heart. What do we think about this? What's going on with this? How could God harden someone's heart, you know? Now, what does it mean to have a hard heart? Let's talk about that first. What is a hard heart? Well, a hard heart is someone who will not listen to the truth. That's what it means to have a hard heart. It's somebody that cannot listen to the truth. And now, what struck me as I was reading this text uh, this week was uh, how we throw around this word trigger a lot in the world today. Like, what, something's triggering you. That, this is triggering you. That's triggering you. And what I realize is that for God's people, or even if you're looking in from the outside and you're just kind of like, you're not a Christian yet, but you're, you're listening to this or, or watching this message what the thing is that triggers you is probably where you've got a hard heart. I want you to think about that for a minute. The thing is you're like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting feisty, right? I'm getting fired up. I'm getting resistant. Or maybe you just, your skin's crawling. You just want to get out of here. Here's what I know. So I've been doing this for a little bit. And every time I preach a sermon about money or sex or hell, somebody needs to get up and get a coffee. Every time, right? I, every time it's like there's this wow, what's going on, right? I'm like, oh, I just talked about sex, or I just talked about money, or I just talked about hell. There's a variety of different issues, but these are just a few of the gods in our lives, you know? These are a few of the things that we, we put on a pedestal in our lives. We're like, well, God, you can touch everything but this, this perspective, this worldview. I, I don't want you to mess with that. And so when it triggers you, then you want to just get out of here. Now, the worldview that's around us in our culture is then that you should do that. I mean, avoid your triggers. That's the message right now. If it triggers you, just get out of there, right? Go to the bathroom. It's your safe space, right? Go find a place where nobody's going to trigger you. Now, if this makes its way into the church, what we're going to create are spiritual snowflakes. Do you know what a snowflake is? So a snowflake somebody who's like, no, don't, no, I, I can't handle a little pressure. I can't handle somebody who thinks different than me. I can't handle difficult situations. I just have to get out of this moment. And so in the church, if we're not okay with different perspectives and different worldviews, we're actually going to resist the change that God wants for us. We're going to resist the potential for freedom in our lives because it makes us uncomfortable. Once again, muscles have atrophy if they're not stretched. And if they don't start moving, and so we don't want to do that. And I was actually thinking, too, we have people maybe in our church who have dealt with some PTSD. You've gone through some difficult things in life, and, and when you have PTSD, what I know about you, and I haven't dealt with this personally, but, but that you, you have situations where something will trigger you, and so your impulse is to get out of there, right? The natural impulse is like, leave that situation, get away from the tension. So what I want you to know is that sinful mindsets are like trauma in the heart, there's like trauma in your heart. You have a, a mindset that does not align with what God says is best for you. Now, the impulse is to get away from anything that challenges that. But what if God wants to speak to you through that? Because the last time that I heard, talking with therapists in our church about PTSD, is that avoidance of triggers is not a treatment for PTSD. It's actually a symptom of it. We don't avoid what triggers us to, to treat people. We actually engage it. We find ways to involve it in our lives, and, and we're intentional about it so that we can actually grow. We can, we can be changed. We can develop comfort levels with these things that trigger us. And, and so we need to do that as a church. Whatever it is that triggers you may be your area, the hardness of your heart. It may be where you're going, tink. 
the thing that makes your skin crawl when the pastor talks about it or when the, the, the Bible talks about it, tink. Be aware of that. That's probably where God is trying to speak to you. Now, then we deal with Pharaoh. We go, is it unjust that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? But there's more to the story. If you read the text, what you see are about 20 instances of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And then on one side, you see God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And then on the other side, you see Pharaoh harden his heart. And you you can actually read through those, all the instances. We're not going to get into them right now. But there's two responses to this. The first is that you recoil, right? You're like, well, how could God do that? That's really mean to Pharaoh. Now, why would anybody recoil at this? This idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. The the first thing is, I think that we don't know Pharaoh. I think if you knew Pharaoh, you'd be like, harden him more, right? I mean, most of us who have any heart for justice, if you knew what Pharaoh did, you knew the kind of abuse that he placed on God's people and the oppression and the slavery, just brutal situations that that many of us would be like, can you do a little more hardening God, you know? Our our sense of justice might come out a little stronger. I think another thing that we really struggle with is uh, the idea of God's justice versus his grace. But I want you to know that you don't have grace without justice. That God is both. He doesn't, he doesn't exchange his grace to be just or exchange his, his justice to be gracious. He is always both just and gracious at all times. And so this is really key that we get this. And I know that we kind of fall in love with like, you know, free love, hippie Jesus that just wants to hug everybody. You know, but we don't really want to talk about the flipping over tables, Jesus, you know, and the, and the money changes. We don't want to talk about that at all, but, but God does have an anger level. You know that, right? God is angry at the things that hurt his children. If you have anybody in your life who have a hurtful mindset, something that they think is right that's killing them, you know what that's like. And so we have a God with, he has a, he has a long wick, right, if you know what that means. Like some of you grew up in homes with dads or moms who when they got out of the bed in the morning, you had to go hide. Because you're like, they just wake up angry at the world. They wake up, and if I'm in the war path, I'm going to get pummeled. And so you knew, like as a kid, avoid them at all costs. Some of you view God that way. That is not our God. God has a lot of patience. How many plagues were there? Ten. Not one. Ten plagues, right? Each time, Pharaoh being given an opportunity to repent And each time, Pharaoh's saying, oh, I repent. Psych. No, I don't. I will not let your people go. And so you need to understand God is a gracious God. And so maybe you're here and you recoil at the idea of Pharaoh having his heart hardened. But what we see are two things. It's really important. We see human responsibility and God's sovereignty together. There is a tension there. Anybody that tells you there's no tension there has to actually uh, resist or, or put down one of the aspects of God's character or reject that part of who God is, or reject parts of the scriptures to say that. There is a tension there. I love it when somebody, you know, sends me an email, and they're like, I figured it out, right? I figured it out. There's no tension. There's tension. Trust me, there is tension in both of those things. We see both engaged, right? Like, like for you, maybe you got saved at some point. Do you know what you brought to the table when it came to your salvation? Nothing. You brought your sin to the table, and God saved you. But do you know that God also gave you a choice? He gave you an opportunity to be invited into salvation. 
So the Bible says he rescues you from death into life, right? You're not on life support. You're literally dead in your sins. But then God invites you into this new life. And so we see both things in Scripture. We see God's sovereignty, God reaching into humanity, God rescuing us from a pit of despair, and then also human responsibility. We have a decision to make. We can choose to follow faithfully with God, or we can choose to reject God. I see both of those clearly played out. So the other side of this, when you read about the hardness of his heart, you might react a little bit differently uh, depending on the culture that you're living in. In fact, in the culture that we live in today, we might actually start cheering this on because, once again, Pharaoh is the oppressor, right? He is evil. He, is, he, he, has, he has slaves, right? And so it's interesting that there's been this almost shift in culture toward like, no, no, this has to be this way. In fact, we have to cheer this on. So for me, uh, 18 years ago, when I got into ministry, there was something that was really popular, a study called the Truth Project. Anybody here take the Truth Project class? Bunch of you. Okay, so I've been in church for a little bit. The Truth Project was all about this resistance to this movement towards relative truth, right? There is no real truth. Truth is all relative. And so it was this, this uh, apologetics to understand that there is one truth. You can't say that all things are true. But now the shift that we're seeing in the culture today is this idea that, no, there is one truth right? This idea that there is one view of human sexuality. There is one view of morality. There is one, one view of money and politics. There's one view. And as a Christian, I go, that's good news that they think there's one view, but I think I, think I would see that view differently, right? Like, like, this is a really important to see this shift that the culture has gotten to some degree more judgmental of certain things that, that maybe are evil without a, a worldview of themselves, out of view that we are all being rescued out of sin, that we ourselves, as we read this story, we're not the Hebrews. We're, we're actually Pharaoh in many ways. We are the oppressor sometimes. And so the shift in culture is actually towards no. Like, yeah, throw him up on the billboard, you know? Let's make a mockery of this man. And so I just, I see this shift that's happening in the world today where we're just getting maybe a little overly excitable about making a mockery of somebody. Have you seen this? They're just a little overexcited about seeing somebody's life be destroyed publicly, of somebody being sort of dethroned from their position, right? And so the term that we throw around is the term canceling. It's this idea of the cancel culture that we live in, right? If we don't like what somebody does, then, then we determine what's right or wrong, and then we cancel this person publicly. The problem is this. The problem is that culturally we are determining what is right, Who's got the white hat? Who's got the black hat, right? Who's good and who's evil? And I promise you this, if you're living in this, this culture, what you're going to see is a shift. Things that were wrong yesterday will not be wrong tomorrow. Things that are wrong tomorrow will not be wrong in 10 years. The problem is we don't have any source of truth, right? And so it's, it's all whatever is culturally acceptable determines who we ultimately cancel. And so as you read this, the question that has to come to your mind is, is God canceling Pharaoh? Is that what's going on? God is making a public display, a public mockery of Pharaoh and his sorcerers, right? But check out Exodus chapter 9. God says this to Pharaoh. He says, For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. So we have to receive that too. Do you know, do you know that by now, God could have wiped us all off the earth? There's no reason I should be on this stage today. You know your story. I know my story. That none of us deserve to have a softness of heart, let, let alone 
to be in this church today, to be, to be part of God's people. What a gift it is that God, we look at the hardness of heart, but none of us are going, God, why would you even soften somebody's heart? We don't deserve any of this, right? So God's like, do you know that you've been going, tink, all your life? Just tink. I mean, he had 10 plagues. You might be on number 1,000, I don't know. Like, you might have hit this plate for your entire life. And God keeps giving you chances, but we're walking toward a road of self-destruction, right? He goes on, he says, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, what's interesting about that text is he said that I might show who God's power? Pharaoh, right? So he's not just using Pharaoh so other people can see, although I think God does that, right? You know that, right? In the end, we all will serve as either an example or as a warning to the world, Either an example of what faithfulness looks like, and people are like, man, I know that was hard for you. I I saw you walk down this road. Maybe I didn't even understand why you were doing that, but you knew this is what God called you to do, and you did it. You're an example of faithfulness, or you'll serve as a warning. And people are going, oh, man, how did it fall apart? Tink, right? One test at a time. One moment at a time. One decision that you make those decisions, you're going to make a hundred of them today. Whether you're going to hit the plate, or you're going to trust that God it's faithful. So I love that he says, hey, I raised you up to show you who I am, right? to show you my power, that I am God and you're not, which is an invitation. When God shows us his power, he shows us that he is God and that we are not, that's an invitation to repent, an invitation to think differently. And so here's the truth, is that God actually calls those that we try to cancel. People we try to cancel, God is calling He's reaching out to them. He's never done with you. Just you need to know that today. He's never done with that person in your life that you think is is more evil than anybody. He's never, ever done with them. If If he's done with them, he would have to be done with you and with me. And so God calls those that we try to cancel. And this is what is so scandalous about Jesus. In fact, I read this quote this week. I thought this was really good says, maybe this is the reason why Jesus himself was canceled by his culture and ours. The scandal of his promiscuous love toward those who are hated, his amazing grace to those who are guilty, is just too vulgar for a culture that has to find some solace in dealing with the uncomfortable log in their own eye by pointing out the speck in someone else's. Now, some of you are like, it's not a speck, it's bad, and it may be bad. And don't hear me saying that there aren't things that should be called out. There are things. There is evil in the world that should be called out. But once again, don't you do that without an understanding of who you are. That's that's what the world's missing, is that when you call things out of other people's lives without an understanding that you are saved by grace and grace alone, then you're just a judgmental person, right? And, And we all fall into this once in a while, but this is why God's people, we do it different, right? We can call out sin. We can ask God to bring justice. We can challenge the world and challenge people who are living as oppressors and do so from a posture of humility because God saved us first. He called us first. He loved us first. So I I honestly believe this, that um, we as the church will not be able to make a difference in the world moving forward unless we wake up every single morning on our knees with an overwhelmed understanding of our unworthiness before a holy God. 
Like if you can't start there, then you have nowhere to move forward. And so once again, self-reliance is another word for pride. So what God is inviting Pharaoh into and inviting you and I into today is humility. To show up here to church and be like, I don't have it. I don't have it together. I'm probably testing God in ways that I don't even realize. And my fear is that I'm going to have to experience some, some, some big pain for God to make it very clear to me. And when I experience that pain, I don't wag my finger at God and go, why did you do this? I thank him because it's actually an act of mercy and an invitation to declare that he's God and I'm not. So let's talk about a few things. Um, I'm going to give you three ways to harden your heart. How about that? So in other words, don't do this. Three ways to harden your heart if you want to keep moving and harden your heart. The first is this. Be motivated by relief and not redemption. Um, this is just natural for most of us. I, I hate pain. Not, not a huge pa- fan of pain. I don't like pain in my life. I don't like to struggle. I like things to be smooth and, and easy. But uh, Pharaoh was the same way. Exodus 9, 27. We read this. Then Pharaoh sent and called to Moses and Aaron and said to them, this was after one of the plagues, this time I have sinned. I love he says this time, not all the other times. He's like, oh, okay, you, you must have got me because life really stinks right now. So I must have sinned. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Boy, that sounds good, right? He goes on, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail, that's one of the plagues, had, and the thunder had, had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So once there was relief, Pharaoh went back to his behavior. Um, have you done this? Have you found yourself seeking relief and not redemption? You didn't want God to change your heart. You just don't want to feel pain anymore or have the risk of, of more pain. And so you said, oh God, I'm so sorry. We were in the wrong. I was in the wrong. Have you ever apologized for something with zero intention of changing things? I think we all do this. It's a great way to harden your heart if you're hoping to do that more. Um, it's just to apologize to God with zero intention of changing anything that's going to hurt your heart. Maybe you've made deals with God. God, if you'll, if you'll help me with this, then I'll, I'll never do that again. Once again, wherever you're making deals with God is probably where your heart is the hardest. Because those deals, you, you, you never hold up to that, that side of the deal, right? And so this does not work. We need Jesus to change us. We need to be redeemed. We need God to, to literally change our thinking in this area and walk forward in obedience. Where in your life are you just waiting for relief to reject the truth? It's a great way to harden your heart. Second thing, pay no attention to the tension. Avoid it. Where there's tension in your life, just get away from those situations. Get away from those people, you know, just go get a coffee, you know. I th- what, what, a, what a tool of the enemy, right? Like, oh, you're uncomfortable, just go. Just go get a coffee. Like, if you hear that voice, just know that's a lie from the enemy. That his goal, the way he works is like, that pastor doesn't love you. The Bible's just here to oppress you. No, that's, that's, not, gonna, that's not gonna give you freedom. It's gonna steal life from you. I've got so much more for you. Just, just go back to your life. Leave church today. Live like you did. Don't change a thing. You're just fine. It's the voice of the enemy. It's walking us into things that are destroying us. If you want to harden your heart, pay no attention to the tension. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, which is these times, in case you're wondering, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons 
through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are sealed. This is really a challenge to leaders. It's a challenge to all of us who are influencing others, right? So Pharaoh, we read earlier, when, when he rejected God, also his people did. And so for you, if you're leading people, that's the, that is the weight you carry. If you're a parent, if you, if you have classmates that, that follow you and kind of follow your life, if, if you have people that work for you or work around you and they know that you're a believer, like that's the influence you have is you're a leader and people will follow your lead. And that's scary, right? In fact, our uh, district superintendent with uh, the Alliance, when I became a pastor here, he said, uh, Brian, I got some news for you. Here in a few years, ACF Church is going to start to look just like you. And I was like, don't you speak that over me. <laughs> don't you speak that death over the church, right? But what he's saying is like, in the end, the people we lead, they, they, they only go toward the direction of who we are, not what we say, Right? We know that to be true in any other area, and, and that's just it, is not only when we, when we sear our hearts, our consciences, that's the language that's being used, like a seared heart, we're actually hurting those around us as well. So for me, I'm a, I'm a welder, and uh, I've done this many times, I'll weld something and then walk away and come back and assume that it's cold by then, it's just a dumb move, and I'll grab it, and, I, and, and maybe you felt this before where your fingers get seared, Right? It's always kind of interesting. They callus over and the skin kind of falls off. It's kind of gross. But, but then after a few days, it's crazy. You can't feel a thing. Just numbness in the fingers. And he says, there's going to come days where, where people are going to be influencing you and you're going to influence others in a way that leads people to death, a demonic way, because of your seared heart, your hardness of heart. It's like you can't even feel anymore. And some of you, when you're in church today, you're like, that's me. I haven't felt God for years. I haven't, I haven't felt anything that's true for years. I haven't, I haven't felt anything in worship in years. It's a sign of a hard heart. God is inviting you to come before him and just say, God, peel away the layers. And I just promise you, if that's you today, God wants to do that. If you're willing to actually obediently walk into these things and say, okay, God, I'm going to start to be faithful to my side of things, that God will be faithful to soften your heart. He will do that. The third way to, to harden your heart is this. Ignore the beauty of the cross. We're walking into Easter, and we're two weeks away. And Easter is when we celebrate that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's not on the cross. But there is life after death. And as, as Christians, as believers, this is the most beautiful thing. It's really like Christmas is cool and all, like little baby Jesus and stuff, but I love Easter. I mean, Easter is my favorite holiday of the year because we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it literally changes everything. And in this story, we see Egypt and Pharaoh, they're paying for some sin. They're paying for their sins, paying for rejecting God and abusing God's people. But in the resurrection story, the beauty of the cross, we see Jesus paying for all sin. All sin is taken care of on the cross. Colossians 2.13, I love this text, says, God made you alive with Christ. I just... Receive this today. If you're a Christian, you are alive in Jesus. The little tink, that's not you anymore. That's the old you, trying to come back to life, trying to be resurrected, but that person's dead because you're in Jesus. It's not you anymore. He forgave us all our sins, not some of them. 
having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Can I get an amen on that? That's good news. So listen to this. The only canceling God does is the canceling of your sin. It's the only canceling God. God is not canceling you. I don't know what you've done or, or what, what, what brought you into church today, but God is not canceling you. He cancels no one. The cross was far too costly, far too valuable for God to at some point say, you're not worth it. The cross was God saying, you've always been worth it. You are worth dying for. And I want to take away your sin. I want to to heal you from these calloused hearts. I want to give you a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel 36 talks about. To take your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. I want you to feel again. I want you to have passion for something other than yourself and your comfort. I want to give you a purpose in this life. That's the invitation from God today. Would you pull out your little insert today? If you're new, this is something we do every single week. And you can tear off this little card on the bottom. You just fold it over. And you just tear. It's called our action card, and you can tear it. It's fun to hear it. It's kind of fun. And again, this is, we're not going to spam you. We just text you some ways to move forward. And, and if you're like, why are we doing this? It seems weird. Don't tell me what to do. I'm Alaskan. I get it. Um, if you can remember what you did after church last week, to make the sermon real in your life, then maybe don't worry about it. But for the other 99% of us, we're going to fill this out. So um, maybe your first step is to give your life to Jesus or be baptized. Next week, we're going to do baptism. So we just, we're committed to filling up the tank every single week, just saying who wants to get in? Who wants to go public with your faith? And maybe that's to you, you today. You're like, that's a, that's a place where I'm testing God. I don't want to be obedient to him. So we'd love to get you baptized if if that's you here today. Um, Maybe you want to ask God to expose your self-reliance. If you want a dangerous prayer, pray that one. God, show me how I don't believe you and how I rely on myself. And if you don't think you're self-reliant, then go ahead. Then pray it. You know, I think that God wants to expose that to us. Number three, confess my hardness of heart. Maybe you know exactly where you're going, tink. Like you, you knew immediately where you're testing God. And you just need to say, God, I am a hardness of heart toward you. You've given me lots of chances. Um, I don't want to feel your wrath and your judgment. But I know you will because you love me. But I'd like to choose obedience. So maybe that's you. Number four, maybe it's to reach out to someone that you've canceled. Where you uh, saw that what they were doing or who they were, they are evil. They are being evil. They're doing evil things. It's true. So were you. That's that's who you were apart from Jesus and who you would be without his grace. And so maybe you realize that today and you're like, I haven't called that person. I cut off the relationship years ago, months ago. As soon as they started posting stuff on social media during the political season, I was like, I'm never going to talk to them again. And maybe you had a hardness of heart towards them. Maybe you just need to love them. So if that's you today, we just want to text you a little encouragement this week on how to move forward in that area. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us. We're going to close in worship here today. Father, we just confess that uh, there are parts of our lives where we are testing you. And uh, Father, in your grace, you've allowed us to feel some pain. Um, God, you love us enough to show us 
what it looks like to wander into unfaithfulness. Just like Pharaoh, God, you 10 times allowed him to walk into unfaithfulness. And what we know at the end of that particular story is that it just led to the most horrific kind of death. God, as you showed these people that sin leads to death. So, Father, we acknowledge that today, and I I just pray for the person here in this room who's been triggered by things in church, triggered by pastors or teachers or uh, even the Word of God. God, that you would soften that part of their heart so that you might be able to replace the lie with the truth. God, we can't believe you love us. We can't believe we have breath in our lungs another day. We can't believe we get another day to look out at the mountains and enjoy the families that we have and the friends that we have and the church that we have. God, we, we can't believe it. I pray we'd operate from that place this week. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.